Come on then, lads. There's just some small home improvements to do. I've got some renovation ideas <laughs> to turn this place into a paradise resort <laughs> in, a, in a twinkling. Never you mind about the treasure, that seed capital. Yeah, yeah, I planted it under a tree. Now, come on, chop, chop. Long John Silver says, you know, you got lucky last night when you attacked my drunk men. And they sort of all, like, sideways look at each other and then realise that it's Ben Gunn's been running amok. One of the pirates gets round the stockade and, um, like, sets upon the Doctor. And for a minute, for like a split second, you think, oh, no, the Doctor's had it. And then the Doctor just kicks his ass. <laughs> Arrgh, hello. Welcome. To shark liver oil. What was that? That was a new introduction. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. That sounded like a, a pirate having a massive drink at the end of a long day whilst having a poo at the same time. Is what that sounded like. <laughs> I kind of, as I was saying, I kind of felt like it was. It sounded like a pirate having a stroke. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you say potato, I say potato. You say yar. <laughs> so um, this is part four. Of, uh, of our read-through of Treasure Island. This one's called The Stockade. And um, let me tell you, it all goes off on this one. Doesn't it? Yeah, get ready because there's some um, serious stuff going down and um, we start racking up the body count, which is, uh, yeah, yeah for, for what's sort of generally seen as a children's book. Pretty, uh, pretty grown-up themes. Death and yeah. battles. I mean, a proper flipping adventure book. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is uh, this is one of the um, one of the six parts that we're doing in the series. Um, if you want to get involved with it, you want to make your own comments on Treasure Island, send it in to us, sharkliverallpodcast at gmail.com. Also, at the end, we always do reviews, and um, we are we enjoy getting them from our listeners. We also get them from other parts of the internet. We source them. But if you want to send in your own review um, over the next week or two, then yeah, send it to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Okay then. Chapter 16. Um, and now we move away from... G- the diary has been kept by Jim pretty much all the way through, but now we move on to... Uh, it says, narrative continued by the Doctor. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was a, this was an interesting little sort of crowbar, wasn't it? Like, because mm. we followed one character all the way through, first person narrative, all of that, and this was written in eighteen seventy. And I don't know how much like split narrative storytelling they had hmm. uh, back then. Um, and I'm not sure that um, Robert Louis Stevenson sort of meant to be innovative here i think he just wrote an adventure story and realized that in order to explain what on earth was going to happen he was (laughs) going to have to introduce another character because he couldn't have jim being like magically you know able to kind of swim back and forth between the island and the ship as much as he wanted um yeah yeah so I, i but it was it was an interesting one to me as well to sort of get this to switch to an adult's eye view by comparison with the teenage view we've had so far. Like, the teenage mm. view has been quite fresh-faced and, gosh, I can't believe this happened. And we switched to Dr. Livesey, and it's, uh, it's a new one. It's an interesting one. Not nearly as much kind of, uh, you know, uh, frilly-shirted kind of self-importance as I would have expected, to be honest. With you. I quite <laughs> liked it. Yeah, I like how it, um, it adds to the feeling of sort of um, 
you know, found footage style, like just coming across a diary <laughs> which two people have written. Yeah. Um, oh, that'd be great. But I, I'm so used to that being used for horror tropes now that it'd be really <laughs> weird to find a relatively straightforward narrative told through found footage. You know, like a, a found footage movie where there isn't always a monster hiding behind the nearest skyscraper or, you know, where it's not what's going on behind them in the woods, but instead it's a found footage movie if somebody was just inexplicably filming a sort of fairly run-of-the-mill police police action or something like that. Just, we found yeah. this footage lost on the ground in the archive at the police station. <laughs> it, 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 the, the one drawback to it is, though, um, we now know that the Doctor survives because he wouldn't have written yeah. it if he hadn't. Um, yeah, that's so. true. It does sort of, so so Robert Louis Stevenson, while innovative, hadn't got as far as innovating his way into the uh, Sunset Boulevard thing. And I realised that if I say any more than that, I'm going to give spoilers, so I'm not going to say any more about Sunset Boulevard right now. <laughs> it's um, a great so, one, though. You should watch it, because that's a fantastic thing that I'm preserving for you. You must watch Sunset Boulevard. Um, so the yeah, so the narrative is continued by the Doctor, and, and the, the chapter is how the ship is abandoned. There's no wind, um, so they can't just up and leave, and also Jim's just buggered off. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, but do you sense that they were all collectively a little bit relieved by that, or at least they should have been? Because <laughs> there is this question about how many hands it takes to run a ship like that, and it's not yeah. at all clear that six upper middle class fops really have what it takes to pilot a ship across the across <laughs> the seven seas. You know, so yeah. there's a, while while they are like, oh, Jim's left, so obviously a good good form dictates that we now stay and make sure that he stays safe and is well. Of course, it's fine. Um, but really, they're all thinking, thank fuck, I had no idea what to do with them ropes. Deary me, anything's better than yeah. looking a fool on the open seas. Yeah, and I wonder how long this improved relationship between Trelawney and the captain would have lasted after a few shouts from the captain yeah. about him hoisting the mainsail. <laughs> <laughs> left! Go left! Left! I even translated it to for you from proper speak to landlubber speak. I said, go fucking left! <laughs> um, so the, their, their plan B is um, they decide to uh, hole up in the stockade because um, it's more defendable. Um, probably. I mean, yeah. I'd have thought you'd have had a better chance defending the ship, maybe. But... I suppose the pirates, that's what, that's what they do best, like board ships and stuff. So. That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ships, they're fine with. You put wood in a different shape, take the water away, they're completely nonplussed. But I just thought the ship's got a cannon, and yeah. um, and uh, I suppose they, they've got to take out all the um, the guys who were on board already as well. Um, that's, so, yeah. that's true. Maybe they're just not as up for a bloodbath as you or I have been primed to be by many, many months going through Game of Thrones. Like, yeah. there were a number of points on this where I was like, oh, this is going to get bloody. And then I had to remember that it wasn't a scene at, like, the Fist of the First Men or something. This wasn't a George R. R. Martin action scene. And it's very unlikely that anybody's jaw would be ripped off with horrifying detail, you know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so clearly they just weren't up for an instant six-man bloodbath on board ship right then and there. Yeah. Um, and so they decided to go for the stockade instead. Bit of a risk, though, having never seen mm. the stockade, any of them. You know what I mean? Like... Just because it's on a map doesn't mean it's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Big gamble here. Um, so the Doctor and Hunter, one of the lo- one of the loyalists, um, row to shore uh, with some supplies. Um, they get to this stockade. The stockade is basically a, a log cabin. Um, 
with sort of a protective like wall in front of it. Yeah. On one side. Yeah. Um, yeah. As they are, um, as they're going over, uh, and and they're sort of they're sort of setting up. They they say it's the stockade. Oh, this is the key point for them. The stockade is the place to go because that's where the water source is. Yeah, um, I forgot about that. So Incredibly yeah, having water on board. Yeah, really, yeah. quite a lot of you know infrastructural thinking has gone on in the um, kind of apparent taming of this desert island. Hmm. Like, I mean, we'll come back to this, but isn't this supposed to have been this stockade supposed to have been been built by Flint, hasn't it? Yeah. So this is the same Flint who, as we've had it described to us, took the treasure and six men ashore. And then came back six days later, having killed them all and buried the treasure. Yeah. So, Why can you raise a log cabin, a stockade in six days? And if so, what did he have to tell them all about raising a stockade when they thought they were all there for the treasure? Come on mm. then, lads. There's just some small home improvements to do. I've got some renovation ideas <laughs> to turn this place into a paradise resort <laughs> in, a, in a twinkling. Never you mind about the treasure. That's seed capital. Yeah, yeah, I planted it under a tree. Now, come on, chop, chop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's nothing to say that they weren't at the island before the six-day burying the treasure. Oh, that's or true. After. Yeah, okay. But fair but, enough, but yeah. having having said that, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to see why um, why Flint decided to sort of go all grand designs for a couple of weeks before <laughs> he buried the treasure. But yeah, I, is it I really a necessary part of having <laughs> your treasure buried somewhere? I would have thought if the idea was to hide it somewhere, that the last thing you want to do is give the impression that the island has been inhabited by somebody, because that means there's probably stuff there to look for. Whereas mm. if somebody turns up and it's just an island with no development on it, they're hardly going to go digging around in the undergrowth for untold riches, are they? Mm. Yeah. Well... For whatever reason, the stockade's here. Um, yeah. As they're at the stockade, they hear this scream. Obviously, this is Alan um, getting killed, um, which we, we heard from Jim's perspective last week. Yeah. Um, so they head back to the boat, and um, one one sailor is sort of very upset about the scream, um, yeah. and he's on the uh, on the boat uh, with yeah. the mutineers. And it's it's a sh- it seems like a shame that he's just been caught on the wrong side. And at yeah. this point, I thought, oh well, yeah, sucks to be him because you need to be yeah. you know on the right <laughs> side again, at we, this point. We go straight to option A, which is the, the Game of Thrones option. Clearly, he's about to be garroted using his own his own belt, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, now this is the moment that the. Um, that the the sort of the, the officers decide to break cover um, and sort of show their hand. So like they appear on deck like guns drawn um, to these six guys on the ship. And we're just like, right, stay the fuck there. And they are just like just their eyes pop out of their heads, the six crewmen, and they just make a run for it on below deck. <laughs> I love that. I I I loved this scene very much just for the sheer like you can almost hear in the in the um in the movie there's like they fade in uh, sabotage by Beastie Boys just like oh shit this is on <laughs> it's happening and that's a great moment but the only thing that could have topped it as a moment I think is if they'd have turned out to be wrong they've come <laughs> out on deck guns drawn come on then you sons of mothers and all the all the, the uh, sailors are there going oh, gosh i don't know what on earth you're talking about oh, ter- terribly sorry sir uh forelock forelock terribly sorry uh, can i get you anything kind master yes of course <laughs> like i just absolutely be the most awkward assumption to have made if they'd have got it wrong 
<laughs> I, I I actually heard a different tune when um like they go out they go right stay where you are and they all like look up like in shock and then they make a run for it and I just heard the Benny Hill and that Matt is the difference between your brain and mine when we start choreographing action scenes in our heads this Trelawney's going after him you, you see him like fire in the air double fast running around that's amazing <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, they try and sort of the the, the the mutineers try and sort of sneak around because there are two ways to get up onto the foredeck. But um, yeah, but they've they've thought ahead and they've got Red Ruth, who, if you remember, is like the fascio character. The uh, the old sort of <laughs> what's he called? That guy, Ted. His, Ted. Ted. <laughs> the aristocrat. Um, so Ted's Ted's there with a mattress and loads of guns, just like. Ready to shoot them, so they can't go <laughs> He's set up there, like, and you can just see him as well, just in the back of his head, thinking, "Come a long way from Bristol now, Red Roof. <laughs> don't let him down. Don't let the master down now. Come on, come on. Here we go." <laughs> I can see or whatever him sound a musket pistol makes when you cock it. I don't know. Clicking <laughs> noise. I can see him setting up the mattress and him saying to the squire, "So mattresses stop bullets, right?" And the squire's like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, to the very best of my knowledge, I have certainly never seen a mattress fail to stop a bullet. <laughs> oh, musket ball, I beg your pardon. Yeah, musket ball, well, exactly, yeah. we're, we're all, we're all, we've got fully into a sort of hot fuzz mindset about this, this um, now having just a preposterous amount of guns. Yeah. And uh, no, 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 as, right, as you rightly say, muskets. Yeah. Um, so they go back onto the sort of um, the bit where they're trapped. One of them pops their head up, and rather, rather, rather fairly, the um, rather than blowing it off, um, the captain just shouts, "Down, dog!" and they sort of drops his drop head again. <laughs> I know he means that as like a, as a way of saying, "Get back, you bastards!" But what he really, I just really sounded like you know that kind of like like somebody trying to ingratiate himself with somebody yeah. from the lower orders, you know, like "Down, dog." Down, yeah, dog, yeah, it's cool, yeah, yeah, I'm cool, I'm hip, no, no, okay, all right. <laughs> um, so they go to make a um, a second trip um, now. So so they, they unload one one sort of set of uh, of supplies and go back to get another set, and then they just basically load the boat really low down. Yeah, everybody jumps on. Um, including Red Ruth, he sort of abandons his his mattress, and they all get on. <laughs> and as, as they're as, as they're about to leave, uh, the captain decides to try and like turn the numbers a little bit more towards them. He shouts a um, an offer. <clears throat> he shouts to this guy who was obviously um, wanting not not wanting to be a mutineer, and yeah. says, "You know, you got your last chance to jump on the boat and join us now." Yeah. And this guy is called Abraham Gray. Does it? Yeah. He like you hear a scuffle. Oh, he makes a it. break for it, and he like leaps out with this like cutlass cut on his uh, on his face and makes it onto the boat. Somehow, in the act of sort of his desperate leap onto this massively overburdened boat, it doesn't tip the whole thing over, which would have been a disaster. <laughs> but they they all roll away, roll away away from the ship. Once again, that's the hot fuzz moment, isn't it? Somebody, you know, comes out heroically, fights off five guys, cutlass cut on his cheek i'm with you sir runs across the deck leaps 
into the boat and the whole boat just capsizes. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just floating there in, on the edge of the Atlantic. Oh, we didn't think this through at all. This is a very poor idea. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Jump on, jump on. Here I come. No, no, no. Careful. Get <laughs> 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 I absolutely didn't think this through. <laughs> um, so we're on chapter seventeen, the jolly boat's last trip. So as we say, it's um, this boat now, especially with the extra person on it, is massively overloaded. Pretty much the um, it's the the sides of it are almost level with the water. So yeah. they, I really, I could really sort of um, picture this. Um, and as the, as they slowly making the cumbersome progress towards the shore. Um, the, the the mutineers run out the gun on the ship, and they just so now it's the sort of the officers turn to just like look wide eyed and go, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Like the the whole thing with um with with this gun apparently being on board on board the ship, and nobody's thought of that because they they sort of they drop they drop like weapon. He says at one point, you know, we dropped all these weapons over the side, right? Yeah. And and then it turns out there's a cannon on deck that they didn't think to similarly disable. And I would have thought mm. the difficult thing on board ship was keeping a cannon out of the water. <laughs> right? I suppose, yeah, you could just roll it into the water. Yeah, just like pull the chocks out and let it... Anyway, sorry, carry on. Well, I don't know. I, I wouldn't imagine it would be as simple as pulling out a, a block. Because <laughs> that would be a pretty bad design, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, at any moment, the cannon can just roll out into the just sea. Roll into the... <laughs> and why was it we lost this battle? Well, sir, <laughs> uh, a, a, as has happened on a now lamentably massive number of times, uh, it, it was indeed the fact that uh, uh, somebody kicked the wedge out from the cannon and it fell <laughs> into the sea. Um, so they run the gun out. Israel hands... Um, who was the, uh, is he the was he the boat Spain or he's, he's one of the sort of key members of the uh, yeah, of the group? Yeah. Um, he's the he's he was Flint's gunner. It turns out so. This Israel Hans was an old uh, Flint pirate, even though he was recruited um, in a different way to the rest of them. Long John Silver didn't recommend him, um, yeah. so he's on on the gun. Uh, this is time for Trelawney to shine because apparently he's the best shot. And he's described as being cool as steel here as he takes aim. I mean, he misses him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he misses him in a way that looks really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. And he hits another gunner. Um, the, yeah, I, can- I, Sorry, I feel like Trelawney here really gets him. He, uh, he, for the very first time in this entire book, Trelawney puts some... Put some stuff in the in the favourable column on his behalf because to this point, yeah. I have thought of him as somewhere in between a sort of simpering, love-struck, utterly oblivious, completely unself-aware, loose-tongued moron. Basically, yeah. everything that's gone wrong so far in the plot has happened because of Trelawney. Yeah. Um, but he redeems himself by being the deadest of dead shots. Can you imagine being so sure of yourself? Using a gun that takes a minute to reload. So you get one shot at a time, right? And it's using a, a you know, a lead ball that's lumpen and, and weird and stuff. Imagine being so sure of yourself that you're like, right, I'm on board a massively overloaded boat that's on the point of sinking. Uh, they're on board a ship pointing a cannon at me. I fancy my chances. Let's do it. Let's do it. And he nearly pulls it off. <laughs> bravo. Bravo, I say. Really. Yeah. Excellent work. Although he doesn't 
pull it off. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but top marks for effort. Good effort, yeah. Um, the the actual cannon shot um, is no more accurate. It's even less accurate. It goes way over their heads. But the sort of just the, I don't know, the fact that it like passes near them and the sort yeah. of panic it creates cause, is enough to, to tip the boat over. So they all end yeah. up in the water. Yeah. Um, and they've got to, got to swim for sure. So there's no casualties, but um, the a lot of the supplies, including most of the weapons, go down with that with that ship. There's only yeah. a couple of guns that are still serviceable because um, the I think it's the captain and the doctor maybe hold the guns above the water when they go in. Yeah, um, yeah, which is which is lucky. Um, this reminded me of um, something that I found out the other day um, about, funnily enough, about the Vietnam War. Um, which was that. Um, so, in my head, a musket being easily disabled is fairly likely, to be honest. They don't look to me like terribly precision pieces of engineering, and I'm fairly sure it was possible to sneeze on them and disable them. But um, yeah. this whole idea of needing to keep your gun dry is actually, as you might be surprised to learn, was a problem up until, I mean, still today, but particularly in the Vietnam War, where you've got American soldiers in basically tropical rainstorms with... Um, M16s trying to keep them trying to keep them working and yeah. um, the way they did it when they would go on these marches and have to wade through rivers and all the rest of it um, was they would put condoms over the tops mm. um, so there, there's all this news footage um, which the, the American military didn't want used because it showed them first of all having condoms and second of all, using them to keep their weapons dry and needing to turn them basically into like, like you're looking like the world's least pleasant dildo, essentially, <laughs> wading across rivers and stuff. Um, and I and so, you know, if only if only Matt, they'd had condoms with them on this trip, it would have been a yeah. totally different story. <laughs> It's a, it puts a whole new meaning to the the phrase "leaving the safety on," doesn't it? <laughs> oh, hey, <laughs> outstanding. Oh um, yeah, so um, they they then race for the stockade because um, there are two guys up there defending it at the moment. A, the guy called Hunter who went on the first trip, who's got a bit of a reputation of being quite tough, and mm. a guy called Joyce who is like got a reputation as not being. But I think he's he's a butler or something. He's like he's much better suited to <laughs> those duties than yeah, fighting we, in a battle. Which sort of begs the question: What were you doing bringing him with you in the first place? Like <laughs> this. So this again, another mark back in Trelawney's already overloaded poor decisions column, where he's like kind of looking around his staff. Red Ruth, you know, true honest. Uh, you know, able to use a mattress as a uh, as a bulletproof vest. He's on board definitely. Who else have I got? Well, I've got the guy who usually serves me a brandy at 6pm sharp every day. <laughs> probably bring him. I think he'd probably be very good in that situation. Yes, let's get him on board boat. Yes, let's let, let's do that. Let's do that. It's not working <laughs> out for you, is it? Yeah, Joyce is described as um, a pleasant, polite man for a valet and to brush one's clothes, <laughs> but not entirely <laughs> fitted for a man of war. <laughs> His personality. Yeah, so... Um, Chapter 18, the end of the first day's fighting. So um, Trelawney's given the captain's gun because he's the best shot and he didn't think to keep his gun like 
dry when they went in the water. <laughs> yeah, um, he's more of a more of a flash player than a than a sort of a, an endurance man, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, uh, they give Gray the new um, the new guy um, a cutlass, and he sort of swishes it through the air a couple of times in a way that shows he knows what he's doing, and uh, everybody feels quite good that he's come on their side. Then um, they get over to the stockade, and as they reach the stockade, seven other mutineers arrive. Um, sort of on, just sort of across a clearing to charge, and um, Trelawney fires a shot, and they just run off into the jungle again. <laughs> yeah, it, they're not really made for land fighting, are they? These mutineers, they, well, they will they will hide at the first opportunity. Yeah, so it appears. But then, as they as they're then making the way towards the stockade, there's a few shots ring out from the uh, from the jungle, and Red Roof goes down. <gasps> shot Ted oh. <laughs> shot oh he should have kept the mattress well quite yeah um so so he's 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 carried into the stockade and um when they get him in this he's, he's obviously in a bad way he's not going to survive and Trelawney asks for forgiveness from Red Ruth for bringing him and Red Ruth's like I'm not sure that's you know not sure that's right. I don't, I've always been the stupid one. Oh. Always, yeah, oh, it is as well. No, I tell you what I noticed about this, though, because, yeah, you're right. First of all, it is a Type A, again, Vietnam War uh, death scene. Hmm. Of, I, I've been the stupid one. I've always been the stupid one. But um, but it's also kind of awkward because he, he mentions the gap between him kind of, like there's this sort of silence where he says, you know... Um, Forgive me, you know, and he says, "Well, there's nothing to forgive, but if that's what you need, then absolutely." And then instead of having him die immediately, it's just like we sat in silence for a while, and then he died. Yeah. And there was just something a little bit, really, genuinely moving to me about that. Imagine your last moments, and everybody sitting around you, so English, they've no idea what to say. You know, <laughs> like you know, nobody. <laughs> I mean, which is, I suppose, better than somebody attempting small talk. You know, what are you going on your holidays this year? Well. <laughs> You know, heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was so in the headspace that this was Ted from um, from the from the fast show that when the guy was asking for forgiveness, I f- at first read it as Red Ruth asking for forgiveness for having the temerity to die. <laughs> and I was like, I thought, oh, that's, that's quite a nice totally touch. true. Oh, <laughs> sir, I'm terribly sorry, sir. Oh, how could I ever die in front of you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyways, this is the other way around. Um, so poor Red Ruth is the first casualty on um, on our side, if you like. And um, then they, they have a moment to sort of assess their position, and the captain says... That they're doing okay for ammunition, but the problem is going to be the food because a lot of the food uh, went down with the last um, the last trip over the water. In yeah. terms of sort of the the fighting, um, the mutineers have the numbers, but the uh, the officers have the weapons. Although they've got fewer now since the since the boat overturned. Um, yeah. So the the sort of plan is they know that they're not gonna there's gonna be someone coming looking for them if something goes wrong but they're not gonna come till the end of August so they've got to hold out for ages because <laughs> um, I think that's, I think I think that's like a good month and a half away. Yeah, I thought that I, I thought that was an interesting sort of you can it's exactly the sort of mistake that you make when you're not in any sense experienced in in doing a big project and you just sort of look at it and kind of go uh, yeah and if we're not back by the end of august then yeah, it's fine not realizing that if shit got real it would be way before the start of august <laughs> and somebody to come out like if i was them 
And I bet you if they make it back alive and they try and do this again, they'll be like, tell you what, we're going to leave. Give it a week. If we're not back within a week, and we definitely won't be, follow us. <laughs> Come and find us, just on the yeah. off chance. We'll yeah, pay you either way. It must be so hard to judge that, because, like you say, if you say give it a week, it, the, the, you know there could just be a delay with the storm, and then there's a rescue party on the way, and you're like, no, there's no <laughs> yeah, problem. That's embarrassing. <laughs> they all turn up, and you're like, kind of, sorry, sorry. Yeah. My bad. got seasick. Yeah, that was all it was. <laughs> we've, we've spent the entire time in France. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, to make that all feel a bit better, the captain has sort of put up a, put up a makeshift flagpole and run up um, run up a, a, a Union Jack. Oh, my word. Flag, as we said. Yeah, to make him feel more cheery. Although I'm pretty sure that there was a Union flag there already. Um, but anyway, he's running up. And he's I, love, put it I love that. I love the way it says that he's brought it across as well. Like, there's oh, like they, yeah. they get there and they pile out. And the, 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 uh, and, um, the doctor is like, the, the captain had some extremely, like, bulky pockets out <laughs> of which he pulled. I forget the entire list, but it's glorious. It's like, you know... <laughs> Damn it, I may be on the other side of the world, but a gentleman is a gentleman. And and he sort of, you know, from one pocket he pulls out a union flag, another pocket he pulls out two pounds of tobacco. It's like, <laughs> where are your priorities, man? Like, yeah. I understand that you, the need you have to, you know, gather yourself under a flag. By the way, that's very interesting, the way that nobody questions whether or not this was a good thing to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, or a good thing to fly when it turns out essentially to be a fucking crosshairs on their... <laughs> encampment later on and they're still like strike my colors no 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 um but but also that nobody was like look i mean yeah cheers and everything and god save the king gore blimey master yes but also you could have got another two pounds of food in that pocket or a flag yeah, yeah let's have but flag I mean, buddies I mean, that, for lunch that, that, shall that's we? pretty rich from everybody else who haven't Loaded anything in their pockets to bring them out, <laughs> and also didn't true. didn't like the captain hold the guns above their head when they went in the water, so they've lost the guns as well. I, I think he's. I think they they probably feel a bit a bit cheeky criticizing the captain for what he's <laughs> you brought. Might be right that, he's at least brought something. <laughs> I'm not saying he hasn't got a grounds for a certain amount of indignation in return, <laughs> but I still yeah. think there's a bit of a you know a question could be asked. Yeah, I do like that though. Yeah, as we said, it gets to this point now where the the pirates start firing the cannon at the um, at the stockade, and you can't see the stockade over the wall, but you can see the flag. So as you say, it's like a crosshairs. But they all they they all agree straight away that it doesn't matter. There's no way they're um, they'd rather sit under cannon fire um, than to than sort of bring the flag down. Well, I suppose. So. That is what built an empire, isn't it? On, <laughs> on the, the, the many, many, many dead backs of people who were stupid enough to go into battle wearing red costumes against a sand-coloured background simply <laughs> in order to show that they were part of the occupying force. Mm. That's really... like it, it beggars belief that the British, that the British Empire w- like went any further than Kent, given the, <laughs> way that, the, given the way the British went about doing it. I just, it just blows me away, really does. Yeah, with, a, with a swagger, with a swagger, with a, with a, a red swagger. waistcoat and a luminous flag ready Hell for yeah. everybody to shoot at. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, it, it seems poorly thought through from a tactical standpoint. I'm not saying they didn't have their propaganda down pat. My word, yes. But I just find it quite interesting that they built a military a military operation off the back of some really stupid military decisions, not unlike this one. We are so good. 
We were even going to wear effectively targets and we're still going to kick your ass. That's what they said. Brilliant. That's hilarious. So good are we at this, we will take a handicap. That's how it works. Um, so the uh, the pirates, apparently, it turns out now, I mean, there's a, there's a mission that's sent out now uh, to see if they can get recover some of the stores, but uh, it turns out the pirates have already started recovering the boat. And they've also got their own supply of muskets, which is yeah. there's a little bit like a plot hole. This that they oh and and because the, the pirates need to have some guns too, they've they've squirrelled some extra ones away somewhere. I suppose it's possible, but it just felt a bit convenient that. Yeah. Um, but so 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 they've got the how many how many are here then now? So you've got the captain Trelawney, Jim, the doctor, Gray. Red Ruth, who's now dead, and then those other two guys. So there's eight of them in total. The other two, Hunter and Joyce. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they've got to hold out against the whole. I think that we, we, we get a number for the pirates. It's something like, is it like 13 or 14 or something like that? Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to, oh, and this is the point where uh, Jim returns. Um, and, and jumps over the wall and doesn't immediately get riddled with musket fire, <laughs> which I think... <laughs> yeah. Counts as a, a one in one in the plus column for everybody for their basic civility, and one once more in the negative column for their absolute misunderstanding of appropriate tactics in a siege <laughs> situation. Somebody jumps <laughs> over the wall, and they go, "Oh, it's Jim! Oh, good, marvelous!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jim, Jim returns. Bit of a morale boost. The next chapter is nineteen: the garrison and the stockade. So, um, just one second. So, so we sort of we we rewind a bit now back to Jim's accounts, and we're back with Jim and Ben Gunn before he before he gets back to the stockade, um, and uh, Ben says that it must be the loyalists that are holding the stockade because of the flag. So actually, the flag does some good because it yeah. it makes it clear that you know whose side has the has the stockade because yeah. it says from, an, from an era be... where flags still worked for that purpose. I quite yeah. Like that. Yeah, they say, you know, if, if it was the Pirates, the Jolly Roger, the old um, Skull and Crossbones would be flying over it. Yeah. And if it was um, clever Pirates, they would be flying the Union flag for that reason. <laughs> um, ben says um, there's a boat hidden out by a white rock. He's, he's got a boat. Um, and he's got some other things to offer, but he wants to meet either the Squire or the Doctor. Um, so he's like, yeah, send the Squire or the Doctor out. I need to talk to him. And Jim says, yeah, okay, thinking... Okay, we'll see what they say. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and then he says he's got business of his own, uh, so he's not going to go. But Ben basically says, "There's no way I'm going to that stockade. There's going to be an attack on it, and I'm not going to be there when that happens." Um, he's, <laughs> he's a survivalist first, isn't he, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. A treasure hunter like, stroke, uh, sort of seaman second. Yeah, I'm on board with you guys, but let me be clear. I didn't survive three years by myself on an island full of disease with no food to eat just so that I could stand next to you and get shot under a flag that hasn't come looking for me very much recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, as they're talking, um, the the pirates start to fire on the, um, on the stockade. Um, I didn't get this at first, but they haven't moved the gun off the ship. They're firing from the ship at the stockade. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at first, the uh, Ben and uh, and Jim think they're being they're being shot at, and it kind of get the impression that the the aim is so wild from the ship that these cannonballs are falling all over the island. <laughs> so they just yeah. got to sort of make a room for it. Yeah, 
Yeah, how um, big is this island, by the way? I mean, we're in a place now where they basically, they could dro- if they were accurate enough, they could drop a cannonball anywhere on the island. Because if it is, that's terrifying. Small island, yeah. Yeah, apparently so. Um, so this is where um, the uh, gym returns to the stockade and uh, gets into the house. Uh, Gray is has um, has bandaged his, his sort of cutlass uh, wound to his face, and they're sort of they're just sitting waiting for an attack basically now. Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things here is yeah, too quiet. <laughs> There's the sort of a, a wind gets up and there's sand that gets sort of blown in through all the cracks and it just feels yeah. like sand's getting everywhere. It's just one of those sort of mundane but really like grim um, things to just sort of sit through as you you got enough to worry about without that. Yeah, um, I thought it was a really good. That was a really good little kind of detail and I've noticed a few of those. Like throughout this throughout this sequence, there are just really good little details that ratchet up the tension in a way which had not been done a million times before this book was written. Uh, it's fantastic. Really, really well executed. Um, yeah. I particularly like this one bit where he describes the construction of the stockade and um, describes, you know, says, you know, the floorboards, some places there was a foot and a half space underneath them. Mm. And again, I don't know if I've just read too much thriller fiction in my life, but there was a part of me that was like, oh, yeah, that's Chekhov's gap under the floorboards. That There'll be a bomb put under there, and no mistake. So it went directly to that. I think yeah. I may be a little bit ahead of this genre in my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jim tells the Doctor about this um, this Ben Gunn and how he wanted... How A, he wanted to meet the Doctor, and B, he wanted cheese. It just so happens that one of the few things the Doctor's brought onto the island is a little cube of parmesan. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. We were riffing on this last week when we were saying, yeah, definitely, I'll just reach into my refrigerated cod piece and get out the piece of cheddar that I've been keeping. No, no, no. He's got, he's got a snuff box with a bit of cheese in it. Who brings. I mean, also, mind you, no refrigerator on board either. If that stuff, Parmesan, not the, not the most neutral of cheeses to begin with, if that oh, yeah. starts to smell, that's not a large boat. You know, that's going to get out of hand. <laughs> you know, they get becalmed in the middle of the Atlantic. Day 55, still no wind, smell of cheese everywhere. <laughs> God, I hate cheese. Yeah. Oh, we do We do find out here that it's 15, the number of mutineers that they're going to have to deal with. So 15 against eight. But um, the uh, the doctor says he's, he's hoping that both rum and the climate um, will help um, thin those numbers out. Because A, um, the... The pirates are they keep getting drunk, um, which is going <laughs> to slow them down. <laughs> obviously, once again, one can imagine Silver in the camp going, "If you get drunk, you're going to get killed. <laughs> if if you drink too much, you're far more likely not to get any treasure. What are you after? We're after the treasure. So what are you not going to do? Get totally wankered. Very good." <laughs> 20 minutes later, everyone's pissed. Everyone's hammered. Everyone's like, oh, that was some very good decision-making there collectively. We've all really got our heads around the material there. Should we have a drink to celebrate? Yeah! (laughs) Clunk. The the other thing is that they've decided to set up camp in a marshy area, and the doctor says that's going to mean they start getting sick soon. So that should help us. Uh, We've just got to sort of hold out for long enough, I suppose. They managed to catch a little bit of sleep. And then Silver arrives... Carrying a flag of truce, Long John Silver. He wants to talk. He wants to talk. Charmingly, talk. I'll bet, with a face like yeah. a ham. 
<laughs> Chapter 20, Silver's Embassy. Um, he's he's uh, describing himself as Captain Silver now. Um, he said he's been, he says he's, I like how he like tries to put a spin on it like a politician is like I was elected after the desertion of Captain Smollett. <laughs> I love that so much as if he's like this is definitely going to stand up in court. This right here, yes, yes, this is my argument. You're the one in the wrong. Yeah, and he basically says, "Can I come in for a chat?" Um, can you promise that I'll be allowed to leave? It basically says, I think, you'll give me a minute to, to make a run for it before you try and shoot me. And um, and the, the, the captain just about gives him um, gives him that assurance. So, um, yeah. yeah. I like that the captain doesn't say, oh, yes, very good, my man. Yes, you've got us over a barrel and no mistake. He says, come in. If you trust me, I won't kill you. But I'm not giving you any more than that. Like he doesn't enter yeah. into Silver's kind of "we're all mates here" kind of thing. Yeah, because um, he does love a bit of spin, Silver, doesn't he? He loves making it seem like he's always in the right. And Smollett's yeah. having none of it, and I love that. Smollett's just yeah. like, "No, you're a mangy dog, and I have to talk to you." So you know, come in. Yeah. Although Long John Silver like responds to that as if, as if Smollett's gone. Absolutely good, sir. All above board here, because he's like, "Well, I take you, I take you as your words." It's basically Long John Silver going, "We're, um, you know, we can settle this like gentlemen, you and I." And uh, and the response from Smollett going, "You're a fucking low down dog. You can come in here, and I'm probably not going to shoot you, but uh, the but no very promises. ground you walk on is putrefied by your presence." Yeah. And then Long John Silver replies. Thank you for the reply, and now we understand each other that we're both upstanding gentlemen. And in our <laughs> now that we understand each other, that I'm in the right, let's do it. <laughs> um, when they when they actually get down to negotiating, Long John Silver says, "You know, you got lucky last night when you attacked my drunk men." And they sort of all like sideways look at each other, and then realise that it's Ben Gunn's been running amok and <laughs> killed someone <laughs> over there. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'd, yes, yes, we attacked when you were drunk. Yes, guerrilla warfare. That was our approach. Certainly, <laughs> in our red tunics. <laughs> uh, Silver, Silver's yeah. offer. He basically says, you know, um, just give you got to give me the map uh, to find the treasure, and if you do that, we'll let you live. Will either take you away from the island and sort of drop you off at a port, which come on, yeah. I don't know who's believing that, You're or right. we, we won't attack you. We'll leave you in the stockade and we'll send someone to get you once we leave again. Which I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> know how Long John Silver thinks that either of these options are going to be remotely believable to these uh, to these hard bitten, now um, sort of suspicious officers. I would have expected better from them, to be honest. I would have expected him to try and come up with a lie, like a really appealing lie that wasn't that he wasn't going to follow through on. Instead of being like basically upfront about the fact that, well, I'm either going to strand you or tip you overboard. He doesn't even say we'll drop you off in a port, though. He doesn't even lie that much. He says <laughs> we'll leave you on some safe shore, <laughs> meaning we'll probably leave you on an island even less well populated than this one. <laughs> yeah. I love the captain's response. He sort of Silver finishes talking. The captain sort of looks at him, taps out his pipe. He's like, "Is that all?" And uh, so I was like, "Yeah." And then he gives his his counter offer, which is basically, um, "I put you in irons now, or I kill you later." 
And that's like, there will be no <laughs> deal here. But I love that. It's a really badass way that he responds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, isn't it? Um, Long John Silver then is all like angry that they're not that they're not going to come to an agreement. Asks for someone to help him up, and no one will because he can't get off the ground on his own with his leg the way it is. And um, it just this was a bit of an echo of Pew here, where it's um, you know there are these people that is treated really badly, i.e. he's mutinied. And now he's asking him to help him get up, and no one's helping him, and he's really pissed off. He's like, "Come on, at least help me get up, you bastards!" <laughs> I like, yeah, that was. I mean, although there's no way is there really of being like um, being polite in that situation. And I don't really know what Long John Silver's end game was. I mean, he's displayed mm. some fairly impressive dexterity to this point, isn't he? He's managed just to get up and over the stockade. Let's we forget as a one-legged man by himself. Mm. Like throws yeah. his crutch over and hauls himself up and, and gets up the sandy slope, which I think was a comedy sketch waiting to happen while you watch this guy try and stump up this sandy slope by himself. Yeah. But um, but yeah, but then at that point, so what were you expecting? You basically come in and said, "I'm in control, and if you don't do what I tell you to do, then I will maroon you or throw you overboard." They're yeah. hardly going to be like, "Yeah, let me be really helpful to you now." Yeah. Yeah, and as, as he's sort of crawling away and um, and sort of climbing up over the um, over the over the what is it the palisade, um, they all start laughing at him, and yeah, that's that's I, cool. I, I, I kind of felt I kind of felt a bit bad for him then. I was like, oh, he can't just laugh at the guy though. He's he's disabled. <laughs> it's a bit much, um, but you know. I suppose limited sympathy for Long John Silver, who's led the mutiny and got. Yeah, the I mean, in the it's, first it's place. an interesting one, isn't it? It's like kind of so ab- absolutely, you know, uh, somebody who's experiencing an impairment, um, you know, definitely deserves kind of sympathy and help. But if that person has just threatened you with death, is it harsh to not help them? I think it's definitely harsh to laugh. I think we can clearly say in all circumstances <laughs> that was not a gentlemanly move on their part. <laughs> Uh, we now move on to chapter 21, the attack. So it's going down. <gasps> oh, it's getting real, Matt. It's get, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I, I just, just, need, just need, to get my, need to get my action scene galoshes on. There we go. Yeah. Let's yeah. make it happen. Get, get your red trousers on, because it's, uh, <laughs> it's time for the attack. Um, everyone, uh, <laughs> I like this. Um, just before the attack, um, during the discussions and the parley, it turns out everyone except Grey um, have like left the posts to watch what's going on, and the captain Rubbish. turns around and sees them all, and he's just absolutely furious. He's like, "What are you doing? You're supposed <laughs> to be keeping a watch." Um, yeah, he's 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 pretty weak. Like, yeah. I, I, this is a response. I love how shamelessly Jim says he's done it as well. It's like they told me to go and sit in my position and keep watch. Immediately, I left my post because it was too interesting <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so, so they set up preparing for the attack. They get rid of the fire because they don't want any smoke going in their eyes. And um, they, we get a good description of the, the stockade now and um, how it's going to be defended. So you've got the front, um, which looks out onto the sort of protective wall. Um, so they stick the doc- doctor by the door. Either sort of side, the walls to either side, if you like, um, have got two loopholes on each, two little like mini windows. So they station Joyce at one and Hunter at the other side, so they're, they're the sides protected. And yeah. then the back area has got five windows, and that just looks out onto a bit of open ground, and that's where they think the attack's going to come. So they station 
uh, Trelawney and uh, and Gray there. And basically Jim and the captain are going to be reloading and sort of go, going between the going between the, the defenders and, and helping them out. That's the idea. To their, to their credit, they do get Jim off the front line as quickly as possible when he's displayed <laughs> his total uselessness as a defensive emplacement. They're like, and Jim, you do the reloading, yeah? Better for you anyway, <laughs> safer. Yeah, definitely, mate, yeah. He's, he's also a side. child, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true, although there were 14-year-old naval officers at this point, I think. Like, mm. 14 was pretty... They were young, but I don't think 14 yeah. was, was too yeah, young suppose, for the Navy yeah. at that point. Yeah, Joyce um, says that uh, they're waiting, and then the silence is broken as Joyce says, "If I see someone, can I shoot?" And the captain's like, "Hell yeah, you can shoot. Go for it." <laughs> <laughs> so um, Joyce takes a shot, and then there's gunfire from all around as like the, as, as the pirates return fire, um, and then silence descends, and there's no ca- everyone's okay, and then. The attack comes from the north as um, a, a lot of pirates sort of climb over the... Um, oh, no, the, the north, so it's the bit with the open ground. Yeah. Um, two get shot, yeah, and one makes a run for it, and four more come on. Um, and the, the, the sort of... They very, very quickly turns from, like, the defenders having the upper hand, hand to the attackers where one of them reaches in to the sort of through one of the windows and smacks Hunter in the face, like with his own rifle. And he goes yeah. down, KO. Yeah. And then um, the pirates run round the house. One of the pirates gets round the stockade and um, like sets upon the doctor. And for a minute, for like a split second, you think, oh no, the doctor's had it. And then the doctor just kicks his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. Training as a doctor 200 years ago, it was different, Matt. It was a different time. Different <laughs> skills were available at hand. Apparently, you also learned the rudiments of hand-to-hand combat. Love it. <laughs> well, I think the doctor's also been in the army because the um, the captain, when he's bowling out everybody at the start of this chapter, says, I expected better reviews for the doctor because, you know, you served in this, um, you know, you say you served in this, this regiment or something like that, or at this battle. Um, so, yeah, the doctor kicks the guy's ass. Um, Jim Anderson, the boatswain, or the uh, is uh, is the sort of the what is you know, like whenever you see these attacks in films, there's one sort of attacker who you kind of recognise, like the more dangerous one. He's the he's the attacker, the attacker that gets named. Um, he goes for Jim, and Jim sort of dives out of the way and just dodges this cutlass slash before Gray um, comes up behind him and, and kills um, Jim Anderson. Yeah. Um, there's uh there's all sorts else going on. There's shots being fired um, through through the loopholes. Um, the doctor kills the the guy who comes after him. Um, there's one more that runs away, and uh, and they sort of the, I think Gray and uh, and Jim run after him, yeah. um, and sort of chase him off, and then return to the stockade. But it's only when they return to the stockade that they realise just how sort of how big a toll it's taken on the on the group here. So Hunter's obviously out cold and looks in a really bad way. Um, Joyce is dead. Joyce, the... Uh, oh, the, the Joyce. The, 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 never the, brush another waistcoat. <laughs> yeah. The, the waistcoat brushing butler who, <laughs> who took, took the first shot. He's got one uh, right between the eyes. So he's, he's oh, finished. Yeah. Um, and the captain's been wounded as well. He's taken a couple of uh, musket balls. Um, yeah. So... It's 
you know they, they tally it up and they think now they're, they're basically four against four against nine. And yeah. um, a little footnote says it's actually four against eight because one of the the guy they shot on the boat by the cannon ages ago he's now died. I love um, the realism of that as well. There's a little footnote as if it really is historical. We didn't know this till later, but actually there were only eight. You know. Yeah, yeah. But that's the that's where we we end this part, and it's a yeah. It, it was it's a great oh, yeah. it's a great sort of exciting battle, and then at the end of it you're left thinking, well, you know, both both sides have taken really big losses here, and I suppose that there's not as much of a difference in numbers anymore, but. Some of the key people on the uh, on the officers' side are now either injured or dead. Yeah, the the the, the captain's a big loss. I'm I'm, I'm mm. sad that Joyce has gone, but um, at the same time, it's hard to describe him as really the lin- the tactical linchpin of the whole situation, <laughs> is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it re- yeah. remains to be seen what um, what's going to become of, of the captain and uh, and Hunter, who are both injured. Um, but that'd be for that'd be for another time. Yeah, what do you yeah. think about that that that, um, that part then? I think this for me this is the this is the sort of the big, um, well the most sort of if this was like where the budget was going to be, this is where most of the budget would have been spent so far in the series if this was on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true, isn't it? <laughs> I think yeah, like um, I, well, so I think there's a few things here. I think there's definitely the, I mean action for a start, great thing. It's got comedy. It's the bit where the, the boat capsizes. I know that it's a really tense moment, but the whole thing of, like, they stop so quickly that it overwhelms itself with water and sinks. It's just the <laughs> most the brilliant, brilliant anticlimax. Sinks in three feet of water, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and the whole bit. And also Ben, ben Gunn going, going rogue, or staying rogue, perhaps, would be a better way <laughs> of putting it. Just this guy running around the island in his own personal little Predator movie, just picking people <laughs> off. I mean, yeah, really fast-paced stuff, really, really great. And again, for you know, for a 140-year-old novel, it's great. Like, yeah. incredibly well-paced and well-put together. A slam-bam pace, as they say. Um, so, as we say, if you, want to get a, if you want to get in touch with us about the book or give us a, a review between one and five stars for um, what you think of Treasure Island, sharkliveroilpodcast.gmail.com is the place to send it. Sharkliveroilpodcast.gmail.com You can get us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Until next time, when we'll be reading part five, I think it's My Sea Adventure, is it called? Let me just check. My Sea Adventure, yeah. So part five of six coming next week. Until then, Dave. Until then, Matt. Billy Bonds. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely.